Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Steel Blade Showtime. I'm your host, Brandon. I'm here with my co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Had a uh, fantastic week hanging out with all sorts of dogs. So if you hear some squeaking in the background, I'll try to be muted when I'm not talking. Uh, but the beautiful Daisy uh, really loves her lamb chop squeaker. So you might hear some of that. <laughs> uh, gotta love dogs and their chew toys, especially the squeaky ones. Kind of wish we had something like that for cats. But then they just kind of sniff it and walk away. I feel like that's bells. Bells on a string <clears throat> is the equivalent. Or the little balls that jingle when they play with them. Yeah. yeah. So, Derek, you know what I did this week? What'd you get up to? Flush and blood. Uh, thanks to a switch in the, uh, in the Al Central, uh, armory schedule, I was able to go to two armories this week. So I went to, uh, the fourth wall armory, went, uh, 2-1. I got beaten by a, by a thread by Rose, uh, on a... Very interesting uh, Saber Dagger Dorinthia build. Uh, I I had her down to a single attack left in the deck when she leaked that last point of damage throw. Uh, but I, I was able to uh, have Will on Leviah uh, just outright die from blood debt. Blocked out an attack. Uh, I think it was twelve blood debt taken uh in that in that last hit. Uh but they had no way left to to banish a card. So they just Oops, there goes all my life. Alright, deuces. It was it was a great match. Uh I also provided all of my unluck to the other side of the table. Uh mm -hmm. both Jasper and Will. Uh, Jasper was on Rhinar, but they both had early hands with two reckless swings in them. Ooh. It it br pretty much bricked both of their turns. Will was able to salvage it a little bit. Uh, Jasper was unluckier, was able to like pitch them through, get them back into the deck, played a sand sketch, and was able to shuffle, and then later saw another two reckless swing hand. It was oh, savage. No. <clears throat> That's I took that out of Leviathan because I kept seeing it when I didn't want it. It's right, good card, but it's great for that end game. But I, I, I feel like in Leviathan it might be too expensive. But I don't know. I'm not a brute player. <laughs> I, I just traded off my uh, my scab skins uh, for a or as part of a trade for a cold foil flick knives. I'm going to get much more mileage out of those. I think I had the scabs on twice. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, you're definitely getting more mileage out of that flick knife. You're going to be throwing lives next and left and right. Wow. Next and next. And, <laughs> I can't talk today. Um, that's what is my working at overtime did to me. I can't even think. Right. Thanks. I, I already got a kill with my flick knives, so I'm I'm real happy. You got, oh. My my favorite part of the flick knives is that there is 
not uh it doesn't have to target a assassin or ninja attack action card it is just you throw a knife as an attack reaction period uh so i was able to put it onto a findle's fighting spirit and get just enough damage through it was Ooh. beautiful i like that i like it nobody expects it nope like it's the style in those kills in my head is so good too uh and then friday night uh we got to on al central's new armory night uh because we're we're taking over, we kicked some of the magic out of Al Central for Fridays, and they have some Thursday time now, which is good for magic too. Because you know, every magic event is Friday, all of them. So you can really only go to to one event. So now yeah. there's there's some Thursday time for some other players, but we get Friday time, <laughs> which is big. Um. So now I can go like every two to three weeks instead of like once a month. And to kick it off, since it was Outsiders pre-release or Outsiders full release, uh, we had a 16-person draft armory. Uh, it was fantastic. Uh, and so that is today's episode. We want to talk uh, with, uh, with Riley, uh, who was here with us today about the limited environment for outsiders how you doing this morning riley i'm doing great uh thanks for having me back to the sst show so uh hello again to the sst community i'm excited to talk about uh the release of outsiders and what that means to me to finally be able to play some limited again <laughs> right <laughs> yes Uprising was untouchable for so long. <laughs> it just felt so samey. It's it had a oh yeah, but uh, you know we did have our wraith drafts here and there. They were pretty fun. I'm excited to be able to when I can get to an armory uh, draft this, which you know we actually were planning before Al announced their Friday armory. And my work decided to slap up the overtime sheet for the weekend. Me and you were planning on getting together with my one buddy and fellow friend Jason, one of our fans, at Sheets and drafting a box just for funsies and playing. And then my work said no. Unfortunately, yeah. But we were going to get all sorts of experience in, trying to actually do decently at this draft. <laughs> Because I am traditionally very bad at draft, uh, but I, I really like the the spread in these packs. I feel like it is much harder to actually get a deck that will have cracked bobbles in it uh, with the inclusion of the hybrid cards, a decent number of generics, uh, and highly desirable cards otherwise. Uh, it's it's pretty solid. Yeah. So yeah, I'm like really excited to be able to draft this for the first time. Um, so Riley, what are you know some of your thoughts just on the set in general so far? Well, my uh, my initial thought is I'm I'm just glad to have a set that I can play limited with again, because <laughs> <laughs> as uh, Derek was alluding to, it's been 
uh, I think six months or more since there's been, um, you know, the, the release of a new limited set. Um, and I, I personally haven't done any meaningful limited or draft play since Worlds, which uh, was in November. So it's been, what, four months? Yeah. Since there's been any meaningful um, limited gameplay, which is uh, far and away my favorite way to play any trading card game. Um, honestly, I, I, I could do without playing Constructed at all. If I could only play limited, I would only play limited. Um, so I'm just really excited to have a new set to, to draft and to play limited in. Um, so much so that uh, we, we were joking last week because uh, we were sitting down at fourth wall to do the first pre-release Friday night. And um, I don't know why, but our LGSs tend to keep their uh, temperature very low. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that or experienced that. Um, but I'm, I'm not a big guy. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I tend to get a little bit cold. And I was sitting there at a fourth wall and I was shivering because of how cold I was. And, uh, you know, I think it was Sam looked over at me and he was like, are you okay? He's like, are are you fiending to play draft that bad that you're you have the shakes? <laughs> and I was like, I do. I do look like I'm going through withdrawal right, right now, don't I? I mean, I was just really cold. You're about um, to get your fix, though. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. Um, and then we, you know, I opened my packs and then I warmed up. So uh, you tell me, was it excitement or am I addicted? <laughs> Probably 50 50, you know. That's I, very generous I, I of noticed. you. Thanks, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed the temperature, but I'm a Yeti, so I I love it. That is mm. perfect for me. Mm -hmm. Growing up, all the toys were in the basement, uh, and that basement was a crisp 60 degrees all the time. 60 so degrees? 60 degrees! Oh, I'd be looking like Han Solo. <laughs> we were. Time. We were all just down there in our sweatshirts, just hanging out, playing board games. Uh, you know, got my got my early very bad uh, like kitchen table magic and Pokemon in. It was great. Yeah, every time I'm at Al, I'm always have my sweatshirt on since I'm usually going to work. So it's like always pretty warm for me. But also, my wife's a polar bear, and I'm a bigger guy, so <laughs> colder temper. It's weird because like. Certain temperatures, like, there's, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, there can be, for me, there can be, like, two 50-degree days. You can have, like, a freezing 50-degree day, and you can have a nice, blissful 50-degree day. It just depends on, like, what the weather wants to do that day, because, like, some nights at 50 degrees, I am freezing, and I have the heat on in my car. But with my wife, we have our AC in and on year-round, because she loves it cold. So... Because in the cold, you can put on a sweater, you can you can get under a blanket. It's great. In the hot, like when it's hot, there's only so much you can take off. It it hits a point where you just you literally can't. There's there's no more. Otherwise, you'll just slowly die. If you if you continue to remove layers. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be surgically extracting yourself. <laughs> Uh, and... So, speaking of those pre-releases, uh, I, I know I went to three myself. Uh, Brandon was was unable to go. How many did you make it to, Riley? I also made it to three. And... So I was at uh, I was at the fourth wall pre-release. 
the, the following morning was at the Owl Central pre-release, and then the, um, that afternoon, the From the Ashes pre-release. Right. All of the all of the same ones I was at. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did I did those three, um, and then got to draft the set for the first time Friday night at uh, Al Central's, like you were talking about earlier, the new Al Central Armory. So we were able to draft, which was cool that they decided to make that change this week. Uh, otherwise, it would have been like the last couple of releases where you go play Thursday night and you leave the store around 10 o'clock, just about two hours away from the time <laughs> in which you'd be able to walk away with the cards. Uh, which for me was always really disappointing because I live like 45 minutes from the store. So I would have to turn yeah. around then and make a trip back the next day to get my cards. So this was way more convenient and also allowed for drafting the day of, which was really cool. Yeah, it was fantastic. You know, I I remember every time we had a release night, every Thursday, everybody was asking, can you just casually stay open till 12.01 today, please? please. <laughs> it never worked. We were never able to sufficiently bribe them, but it was good. It was good that now we are able to do it. It's going to be great for every other release. I will fiendishly grab packs as we run through. Yes, the, the birdhouse uh, the birdhouse is a nest of conviction. <laughs> they, they do not, uh, you know, they don't infringe on the uh, the release, the street date policy. No, sadly, as much as we've tried, like you said, for better or for worse, you know, it's it's good for them because they can still sell product. But come yeah, on. yeah, but we're selfish. <laughs> come on. I want yeah, my but... cards and I want them now. Exactly. I saw people getting some, like, getting their stuff on, like, what, Wednesday, Thursday already. So, like, uh, how are some shops even able to, like, ship stuff out that early? Yeah, yeah, you know, you can't ever account for USPS. Mm. Uh, United States Postal Service, just, uh, you know, it's the Wild West out there. They do whatever they want. Right, I imagine a lot of that is, here's our you know, release date, we've put in all these pre-orders and they're just sitting ready in a facility. And then, like I said, USPS just brings them on out. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm on the, the opposite end of the <laughs> spectrum. I, I pre-ordered the uh, the SCG case so I could get that Flick Knives mat. Uh, mine's showing up Tuesday. It's just weird because so... I pre-ordered mine after you and mine's showing up on Monday. <laughs> Right, exactly. There's no rhyme or reason. Uh, it is some sort of eldritch monstrosity that functions on its own accord. Um, is is the USPS shadow? Is Might that... be. But hold on. So speaking of the USPS, we're getting so off topic already. This is gonna, this episode is going to be great. I promise. Um, so speaking of the USPS, my New Horizons cold foil that I thought I got for a great deal was supposed to arrive this week. And it was out for delivery, and an hour later, I checked it again, and it said, Return to sender. I'm like, what? And I looked at it, and it said, the addressee is not at the address. And then I'm like, what? So I went to the post office, and I was like, hey, what's going on here? And then so they looked it up, and they're like, well, it is addressed to your address, but the person's name that's on this envelope doesn't live at that address, but obviously we can't give it to you for legal reasons. And I'm just like, 
what? So I messaged the person on TCG. I'm like, hey, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, well, I'll look at it when it gets back. I copied and pasted your stuff in the pirate ship. So I'm either getting a cold foil New Horizons in the next couple of weeks, if I get lucky, or I'm getting a refund. That's that wild. Because the, the little little tag that you showed me, because you got me a screenshot of that, it just showed the name of your city on yeah, the on the USPS site. Not even, like, no numbers, no street, nothing, just the city. I live in the fruitiest place in Pennsylvania. And, uh, <laughs> and that that's literally, I live, my street name's a fruit. The city I live is a fruit. It's great time. <laughs> it's just very sweet down here. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> No, I went in, I gave them the tracking number. They were able to pull up all the information and they're just like, yeah, the address on it doesn't live at that house. And I wanted to be like, well, how do you know that? Like, put it in the box and I'll return it to sender if I need to. They send all sorts of stuff to places that the person does not live there. But, anyway, like I said, we are, we are way off topic. We'll have updates on this Gold Foil New Horizon eventually. <laughs> I'll post updates uh, on Twitter. So before we get to the draft portion, uh, how did you how did you do on your your sealed? Because I I know for myself, um, it, now probably I shouldn't have done this for all of my pools, but I did play Azuri uh, at every one of the pre-releases. So I ended up playing Azuri twice, um, and Arachne once. So at the first night I played Uzuri, and that night went pretty well. That was a clean 4-0. Uh, so I was able to win that event. Then I played Arachne the following day, and then Uzuri the last day. Um, or sorry, I guess the last event. Uh, so I ended up, uh, I think I lost two games the whole of the whole weekend. And I, I guess I would say in that format, which, you know, keep in mind that the set is not designed with sealed in mind as the you know the, the primary format so i think it leads to a lot of these weird um balancing issues where unless you had an absurdly good ninja or ranger pool of sealed cards that your best default was just always going to be assassin just because you just had the biggest pool of cards to choose from in my experience i had um had one sealed pool that had access to a total of 12 ninja cards that's including the hybrid cards Yikes. And that is uh, very insufficient <laughs> to, to build a deck, especially in a format which we quickly learned was often ending with people running out of cards, which yeah. is unique to this set. Yeah, I, I haven't had this issue in any of the other like limited environments, but like night one at fourth wall, uh, I think every game, except for the one I played against Chad, where I just got blown out by bad decisions and weird plays, um, all of them went to fatigue. It was it was ridiculous. We were all on like the last hand or two, no options left, and one of us was able to eke out, or it was just we we made it to the end and we did the math on on Kadachis and or spider bites, but. I that believe... led to the, the second two pre-releases. I was running, like, if I had them that, that fit, 40 cards. 42 cards. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a weird deck 
building dynamic that happens that I've noticed in this set where you're uh you're trying to balance between uh card card value and card density. Um where sometimes you maybe like you're describing now may or, maybe are baiting yourself into playing too many cards cuz you want to increase uh you know the the population of cards in your deck but you are decreasing the average card value to the point where you may have more cards but it doesn't actually feel like you have more cards because the cards that you've added are so bad that they're not actually contributing to your win condition so i i i haven't quite figured out you know the secret sauce for for this set yet um but i can definitely say in sealed at the very least the sweet spot seemed to be somewhere around like 35 quality cards okay <clears throat> as i say i noticed that the two that i looked at sam came out on top was he on benji on both of them no he wasn't i know he was on one i thought no he uh the, th the one time he played benji was the one he did not win oh so that should tell you everything you need to know about that decision <laughs> <laughs> I think his when he when he took it at Owl, he was on Azuri because okay. I he was my round two, uh, and and we got to fatigue, and there was I had a slim chance. I had made one decision slightly different. Uh, reminder to the to the motto: play slowly. If you've got the time, play slowly and think out your decisions. Because uh, I, I lost two. We were already at fatigue. I had three cards in hand, one in arsenal, uh, two yellows, and a blue. And I wasn't thinking about the fact that we were going to be just trying to trade one card for one card because we were at, we were both at one. And I had a, a stealth card that I could throw and a spike with frailty in arsenal. And I, I blocked with it like an idiot, instead of throwing it. And that that was my my fatal decision in that matchup, uh, and the rest of it went to the fact that he had the seeker's gear. Between those two things, is what led to, uh, led to him being able to to take the win. It was a hair's breadth. Uh, and the second, I sat next to him, but I believe at uh, at from the ashes he was on Riptide, wasn't he? Uh, no, no. Uz so Uzuri won all three events that we were both at. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I I won the first one with Uzuri, and then Sam won the following two, both also with Uzuri. So can we just say that Sam copied you after that first event? <laughs> Yes, we can indeed say that, Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> and I think and I, that we should. We definitely should. <laughs> no, and and no. just to add to that, I, I want to know, because I, I played against you at, at the uh, at the From the Ashes, and you mentioned during our game, but you didn't say what it was that, I guess you and Sam always like trade a pack during, um, like before it's opened at Sealed. Or at drafts, or or whatever the case may be, uh, maybe not at drafts. I think that might be illegal. But 
in that traded pack, supposedly there was a really good card that he beat you in the sealed with. Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks, what was thanks it? for thanks for traumatizing me, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I had to know. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was funny too because uh, we did that at all the other events, and it, it didn't lead to any bad feelings. Uh, however, this one, Sam, Sam happened to take unknowingly by far my best pack, uh, which had a codex of frailty. Oh. Um, which also coincidentally left me with a pool of zero majestics. It was my only majestic, apparently. <laughs> um, oh, so we were we were playing a game, and um, yeah, I mean, during the game, I felt like I was wildly ahead in that game. But the the codex of frailty being as well timed as it was, really just uh, it it pivoted the game back in his favor. And then I ended up, I ended up still probably being able to win that game, but I ended up dying to a, a blood, a, his second blood rot trap, which I was not playing around. Not that I knew I should have been playing around it. Mm -hmm. um, but nope, he, uh, yeah, he won the game and then proceeded to win the entire event, which is, is was pretty fitting because he had a very, very powerful deck, right? A very strong Missouri deck. Yeah, and it it was funny because we were talking about you know these these pack swaps will probably re lead to some salt at some point, um, <laughs> and it quickly manifested two rounds later. <laughs> yeah, I was full of salt. I you know, I would have been too, especially knowing the uh, the spike in price that the Codex of Frailty's seen. Right. Yeah, I wasn't really even thinking about that at the time. Right. Um, so how could you? It was you know, pre-release pricing is insane to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, every every time I look, just trying to get an idea, it's people just blanket put out each uh, each majestic for twenty bucks and see who bites. Yeah, but Codex of Frailty is a very powerful card, and it will, without a doubt, be one of the most played cards from this set uh, because it is just inherent card advantage per turn cycle. It's very very good. Card advantage and lowering your opponent's power. Mm -hmm. Since they have to put whatever the thing is in Arsenal, at the very least, that gets minus one. And if they're using weapons, that's even more value. Yeah. It's insanely powerful. I love it. So, we you know what we all got to do now? We got to put Derek in the heart chair, have me sit next to him, and me and you swap a pack, Derek, and you'll get the fable. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's how I'm getting my, my cold foil play hive. Yep. Understood. <laughs> yeah, so Sam will probably listen back to this and uh will have a good chuckle to himself. As uh <laughs> I, I very much felt like I was in the schoolyard getting beaten up and having my lunch money taken. You know, and then I sat there in the corner while he ate both of my lunches and, and drank my bag milk. <laughs> and I, you know, I just sobbed to myself quietly. That's something I haven't like almost forgot about was bag milk. Sam's a bully. No, he's no. You know what it was? <laughs> Hot takes here. Sam's a bully. No, Sam's a good guy. Sam is a great guy. He's not a bully at all. But he has that goblin vision that he saw in, saw that car, and he's like, "That's mine." <laughs> goblin vision? Yep. <laughs> man, the man I wish uses I had goblin vision. The man uses a goblin for everything that i see him like on twitter and on discord his picture is a goblin so he has that goblin vision 
that he knew that pack was going to be good and come up later. It was so, very much a target acquired scenario. It was. He reached over and picked the one he wanted. So you know what, Brandon, I'm I'm on board with this uh, this <laughs> con- was, Goblin Vision conspiracy. I really that am. was a calculated <laughs> move. You're right. It was. It was. <laughs> Next time I'm at Al, he's gonna be like, "Hey, Brandon, I need to talk to you off back, and then you're never gonna hear from me again." Right. You you've outed his secret at this point. Now we can't use it in the future. <laughs> oh. It kind of makes me wish that, that I was able to do some sealed with this, but at the same time, I'm glad I didn't. So, you know, go ahead. I was, was going to say, sealed's a, a really weird spot, because I, I think you're right. I, I feel like Assassin is almost always the, the best choice. You know? I, I played against some scary uh, Azuris, or not Azuris, uh, Azaleas. Um, and Riptides. You know, I, I was I played against Caleb, who was able to to throw out like I think he had like two lace with blood rots on an infecting arrow. Ooh. I had to give him oh. my hand. Oh, we were talking about that two weeks ago, right? Oh yeah, I love it. Stacked it out, but you know, assassin blocks well. Then I was on his earth, so I <laughs> I had a, a hand of three blocks, and I said, "Here you go, <laughs> you take it. This is all yours. Congratulations." <laughs> oh. but uh, like you said um, unless you get really lucky with your with your sealed pool you know that's that's not going to be the case usually like i i got lucky with my owl sealed pool uh i had three spike with frailties uh two red razor's edges uh a what was it one yellow and two blue short and sharps it was it was a crazy uh, amount of reactions that I had, but it's very different in draft. Uh, draft at at Owl, we went ahead and because we right now we have a lot of like newer and more casual players, and we also have a lot of competitive players. So Owl was nice enough uh, to offer. A, a split into who wants to be at the competitive table and who wants to be at the casual table. Um, so I, that, that put myself and Riley at opposite ends of this, like in different pods. So we got to see the whole spectrum because um, Riley was in the competitive table. Uh, I, in hindsight, might have been able to to be over there because this this draft environment is easier and i don't know if that's just because i'm used to playing assassin so my you know a class i love is in it uh or if it's just a and i think it's a little bit of both just a really well-designed draft environment Uh, i don't think i had a single game that wasn't close oh so hold on i take everything i just said back sam's not a bully you are (laughs) <laughs> playing in the competitive table. I mean, the non-competitive table. <laughs> You're a bully. I, I was raising my hand to go to the competitive table, uh, and then Jason shot his uh, hand up in front of me. I went, all right, well, if you really want to be over on that side, sure. Uh, <laughs> and I, I was really happy with that, so th- thank you, Jason, because I, I ended up sitting in the seat at the casual table that had the rainbow foil uh, Van Brace of Determination. So, I'm, it's a pretty good night for me. <laughs> he, also, he also went 4-0, so... 3-0, but yeah. Oh, that's right, yeah. 
uh, and I noticed a, a really weird thing happened at both tables. There was a overwhelming amount of rangers drafted. Really? Yeah. Uh, now, now, part of this at the casual table is because a, a lot of the the players, it was either their first time drafting or um, they haven't drafted often, and they dedicated too early and and couldn't pivot. Uh, so the entire one half of the table, all sitting next to each other, was on Ranger. <laughs> and then you you cross the table, and there were three assassins sitting next to each other. I was one of them. And then James was over there solo drafting Ninja. Dang. And how, I, I know there was a, a lot, but how many Rangers were at your table? We had a very similar experience at our draft table. Um, if I remember correctly, we ended up with four Rangers, three Ninjas, and one Assassin. Weird that it was like the, the little bit of a reverse split, but yeah, it, it's it's really bizarre. And I, I think one of the things that, that fascinates me, because before I heard it happened over at your table with the competitive folks, uh, I was just like, oh, it's it's just like newer players, not really like reading the packs that were passed, not seeing that they were downstream from all of the rangers and just grabbing ranger anyway. But it happened over there too. I I could feel the moment. I could feel the specific pick in which I realized there were other people at the table making the wrong decisions for their seats. <laughs> 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 which uh, you know, uh in coincidentally then affected the the card quality of the uh, two other people that had already been drafting um for a specific hero, right? It was a Ah, uh, you know what though? I I want to call that the the owl central effect. Because for whatever reason, when there's a draft happening at Al Central, that happens. It's yeah. like it's uh it's like clockwork. There's uh one or two people that decide that they don't actually like the cards that they've been drafting for the first nine picks and decide to forego <laughs> all <of> those picks <laughs> and start making some significant changes. And then we end up with some very low power level decks. Uh, which is not necessarily bad, because I actually enjoy playing when everybody's deck is really bad. I actually think that's the most fun when you're when you're playing limited. I think it's almost more fun to play out those games when everybody's deck is at its worst, and just seeing what you can do with a, a pile, a pile of bad cards. But unfortunately, I've also seen in this set when you kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about card density and card quality. Um, when you end up with a, a deck that is both low on cards and the cards that you have are bad, it turns out you can't actually end the game sometimes because two of our games ended in very close to draw states in Ranger Mirrors where there was a good chance uh, neither side would be able to end the game. So that is a thing to keep in mind when you when you're playing out your games. Right. That that happened over here too. Uh because we had one of our one of our games, um, we had a Ranger Mirror that was going to time. It was either the last or second to last. It was the second to last. And the only reason it ended in not a draw was one of the players just went, 
I'm not going to block. Take the win. That, yeah. That's the only reason that game ended. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, like, I, I think that player might have had like a blue arrow left when he revealed his hand. He knew he couldn't take the win. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the Rangers won. Had a few more cards in deck, so like probably had it gone on, could have taken the win. But it was a it's a very strange seat, the the Ranger mirror there. And I, I don't think I and I'm probably wrong on this because as I've always said, I'm I'm bad at I'm bad at draft, but I, I feel like with the power of the spiders bites and the kadachis picking the one class that doesn't have a weapon that can just reliably worst case throw one damage you know force a block uh you know run the numbers in the end game i i feel like it's not often going to be the best choice i'm in, i'm inclined to agree with you derek um Granted, this this is anecdotal evidence. You know, I only, I only did one draft right, so same. far, and and I can I can say with a lot of confidence though, uh, having four rangers in a pod is wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> objectively wrong for that exact reason. You know, the the ranger has no onboard win condition through weapons. Right, you're required to play attacks and you're required to play arrows to be able to end the game. Uh, with that in mind you are heavily incentivized to have a the highest quality attack pool possible because that's your only way of navigating the game and ending it without running out of cards. Uh, so I, I really don't think you should be seeing probably more than two rangers per pool. Uh, probably they're going to both end up playing Riptide or maybe one Azalea, one Riptide because I think Riptide is just easier to put together. Uh, it's easier to have a, a pool of cards to support Riptide than it is Azalea, um, but kind of kind of like you were saying, I I don't think you're going to see a lot of situations at at a competitive level or a higher level of play that end up with four Rangers and a pod, and if you do, you're going to end up with draw states, or you're going right. to end up doing things like I was doing in my last game, where I realized. I only had about eight cards left in my deck, and I still had 15 life. So you have to start doing things like, sure, I'll take eight damage. (laughs) (laughs) Because I need every card I have left to try to end this game. Right. Yeah, I've never... um, I don't think I've been in that game state very often in Flesh and Blood. So for for that experience alone, I think that this set is very unique and requires you to have a different... uh, a different outlook, a different mindset about your, what your win condition is. Because it's often not going to be just raw damage. It's going to be an attritional-based win condition where you run your opponent out of quality resources, and then you can end the game that way. So, obviously, like you said, you know we only have one in the books so far. But looking at that one, like, from in your opinion, how do you feel about this set draft wise? Like, are you excited to keep going with it? You think it's gonna kind of like teeter off, like Uprising did at a certain point? What do you think? Yeah, I think I think I want to 
reserve my expectations just a little bit because I, I don't know, I'm also kind of weird because I, for the most part, enjoyed Uprising Draft and uh, a lot of people despised it. And I probably did 40 or 50 Uprising Drafts, so I would say way more than the average person. And yeah, although it did get old, I don't necessarily think it was a bad draft environment. I am really excited to draft more Outsiders because after playing some sealed, playing with the cards, and then doing a draft, I do think it has the potential to be the highest skill ceiling draft that we've had so far. Uh, I, I think Welcome to Wraith was a really good draft format also, but I don't know that I would call it a high skill ceiling format. I do think that Outsiders has the potential to fit in that space. Yeah, I, I feel like they're all gonna eventually get to, because like for for me, I I drafted it far less Uprising, uh, and I'm also far worse at Uprising. Like I, you you were there for the time I had a seven token deck. <laughs> <laughs> uh that was four cracked bobbles and three phoenix flames that felt bad i got destroyed um but i i do think it was a good format it was just for me someone who's not as good at seeing what the actual card pools available to you are having the the two of the same type talent and one of another I mean, it very hard for me personally to kind of read the draft table to to see this is what I should be taking. This is who I'm downstream from. Uh, I I wasn't able to read that close to ever. You know, I I think I think you were at like some of the only times I had remotely viable uh, draft pools too, where I I ran Phi once. And the number of turns I had like a semi-decent chain and just dropped a, a ward at the front. The uh, protective ward? Is that the name of it? Um, uh, Sigil of Protection? That's it. Um, and that, that was my, my chain closer. That wasn't good for me to have done. <laughs> Uh, Up, Up, Uprising had a very punishing draft portion. It was very easy to find yourself, like you were describing, in a situation where um, maybe you made the wrong call at some point and ended up with a, a very weak deck um, for, for that reason. And I think Outsiders is a lot more forgiving because there are more generic cards per pack and more of those you could call them like pseudo generics because they're hybrid and then fit into two different classes. So for that reason, yeah, I don't, I don't think even the average drafter is going to end up in a situation where they're playing cracked baubles. I think just about everybody, if they're making competent choices is going to end up with a playable deck. And that makes the experience a lot better for everybody involved. And it also opens, like I said, it opens up the door for higher skill play through, through the actual gameplay and not just the drafting portion. Right. As I, I sat across the table from Will, who had an objectively better uh, draft pool than I did. Uh, now, now, granted, I had some, some foreknowledge going into this because he excitedly showed me a few cards 
so I knew he had uh, a spreading plague and a spike with blood rot. So I was able to play around it a little better. Um, I, I did still get caught with a uh, three blood rot off of spreading plague. That felt very bad. Um, but that was that was such a close match that literally the the only reason I won that was because Will forgot about my van braces. I, I was able to float the one to pay to prevent his uh, Seeker's Gillet from blocking a damage, forcing him to give me an extra card when he shouldn't have needed to. Uh, that was that was the only thing that won me the game. Other than that, I, I think he would have had me. Uh, and those little choices, like, yeah, it was down to our, like, I, I drafted a legendary. It's It's hard not to, like, they're very impactful for a reason. But the the skill choices and the things to read on the table, especially with like between Azuri and like when I played against Riptide, purposefully trying to make decisions that wouldn't trigger the uh, the trap damaging you. You play a little bit lower power so you can maybe eke out that win against those trap triggers. Boo. Don't do that. You just go balls to the wall, all in on it. Get hit by every trap, barbarian it. <laughs> Dude, like what happened? You gotta hit both, get hit with both blood rot traps at the same time. I have had that happen to me. You're welcome. I very much enjoy the play patterns that Outsiders is encouraging because I think I think flesh and blood is at its best. When it's interactive, uh, and by interactive I mean you actually have to make decisions about attacking and defending, not actually just say I'm I'm going to lay down all my cards for blocking or I'm going to lay down all my cards for attacking, and there's no decision making in between. Um, I I personally don't enjoy that much at all, and Outsiders I think does not promote that because depending on the class that you're playing, you probably can't actually utilize all four cards in your hand to attack. So you're encouraged to do a lot more blocking. There's also a lot of cards that represent powerful hit triggers. So that also encourages a lot of blocking. Um, so for me, the, the idea of um, trying to play more mid-range, trying to make decisions, um, okay, how can I block? How can I maximize the cards in my hand so that I can win this turn cycle? Um, that to me is when flesh and blood is at its best. So for me, if outsiders encourages that type of gameplay, then that hits the that hits the perfect spot for me. Um, because you didn't we didn't see that as much when we were drafting um uprising, for example. You're you were playing two classes that you were pretty much trying to keep all of your cards and try to be as aggressive as possible unless you were playing Icelander. Um so I, I just I just really like that back and forth gameplay. You know, I'll take one or two here so I can present seven, and then you see the life totals slowly move their way down. You know, from nineteen to sixteen to fifteen to to twelve, and then you get down to those those game states at the end where you're you're one one, and you're just trying to find that small advantage you need to finish the game. 
that to me is very satisfying gameplay and it's really nice to see flesh and blood moving back in that direction it is such a good feeling to know like it's, it's one of the things i like about arachne right uh it it encourages even if you're a hero that wouldn't normally block sometimes you will block a, an attack if i say i'm gonna leave that on top would you like that card to get banished it, it encourages that thinking through of what is it that they saw that wants to get, that they want vanished. Is that a value card or is that just for silver? Could be both. Who knows? Uh, and realizing that they've, they've gotten punished by either like, you know what, this is a good hand. I'm just going to take these spider bites. You know, we, we see it in the, in the sealed and in, in the limited too. Uh, the the only reason that I I think I beat my my last opponent James in my side of the draft, uh, he was on a very strong Katsu list as the solo uh, ninja drafter, and there were two turns that he took two spider bites and went to block and realized, oh, these cards block for zero. Crap. That that those little decisions that this encourages are huge. Do you block be like water? If they don't actually need, if they're not actually going for a combo this turn, you don't know that. That's the start of the combo. It is such an interactive design space. I think I mentioned um, when I was on the show last time that I, I came from playing competitive Hearthstone. And before Hearthstone became a, a glorified random number generation clown fiesta, there was actually, uh, at the beginning of the game when it first came out, there was a big emphasis on making making trades throughout the game you know with with your creatures make, making good trades making the most out of your cards getting the most value out of them and win, winning the game by outvaluing your opponent and that was my favorite time to play hearthstone and i think this outsiders format is very similar to that so it, it it's reminded me a lot of like peak peak tcg gameplay in my in my opinion so as Granted, my opinion could change. Maybe I'm going to learn that, okay, it was a, the format gets solved and it's not as interactive as I thought it was all along. I don't see that changing because my, my initial evaluation doesn't lead me to believe that. Um, but if it, if it can maintain that and if LSS is able to give us more product like that in the future, I'm going you know, to be a very happy flesh and blood player. Well, hopefully the product isn't like the game plays like it is, but the product isn't like it is has been for this Thing where some people are getting zero legendaries and other people are getting a hundred in their cases. Well, that's a different topic altogether. <laughs> <laughs> I, on the on the topic of collation, though, because to my knowledge, I don't think we've seen any proof that like the the fifty to hundred legendary cases are real. Uh, I think we've just seen pictures posted. I I haven't personally seen a video. But I, I am very interested, I, w I was very interested to find out, because we were talking about um, some of the packs feel very strange, because some of the, all of the packs before had at least two rare slots, rare and rare plus. 
and then there's the foil, which, you know, could be anything. But we have had multiple packs that were a single rare, and all commons for the rest, and multiple packs that are four rares or higher. And supposedly, that's purposeful. That's that's part of the design to support uh, to support the limited play, and that's a very interesting decision to me. Yeah, I know Brian Brian Gottlieb, who was very involved with uh, the development and design of this set. Well, he was on Twitter saying that that is by design. Uh, he he didn't go into detail about why necessarily um but he said that is intentional uh however i i know that boxes with 50 legendaries or you know whatever is happening <laughs> definitely not by design um but i also don't like you said I, I don't know if that's true um you know it could be a fake news situation uh but it could be true also it's not the first time there have been error or god boxes in tcgs um i doubt it has anything to do with lss it's probably a production issue um, they haven't addressed it at this point. I'm sure that if it really is a legitimate problem, they will address it because they've been very transparent as a company and they've um, they've operated with goodwill towards the community. So I think that if it is a legitimate problem, and by legitimate problem, I mean like more than one box. You know, if there's one box that's that has this issue, I don't think that's a legitimate problem. That's an outlier. Right, and I don't right. think that that needs to be addressed. It's but if we're seeing several of these, mm -hmm. big problem. So we have the three different um, afflictions in this set. Um, in your opinion, so far, what do you think has been like the least worst to best, the affliction wise? That's a really tough question to answer because they're all situational. Frail frailty is extremely good against ninja and other assassins. Blood rot is pretty much always good, except for the end the end game where your deck is all full of blues and you can't utilize four cards anyway. So you're usually just pitching to pay for a blood rot. I know I, I had several games where I was being threatened with blood rot and I chose to just take it so that I could keep more cards in my deck. Uh, so early game blood rot's really good. Late game blood rot I think gets quite a bit worse. Uh, Inertia is probably the hardest one to take advantage of, but it's also situationally very powerful. I know there are times where I got inertia trapped, where I was planning to arsenal something, and then you know I had to put that card on the bottom of my deck. So losing a whole card on value is really strong. It's kind of like getting ice reacted by Oldham, which is also, turns out, an incredibly powerful ability. Uh, so ranking them is really hard. I think on average you're going to find that Blood Rod is the best. Um, but that does not discount the other two from being very powerful in the right situation. Right, because theoretically, I, I feel like Blood Rot... It, it's kind of like a worse, uh, a worse Frostbite, because it's, it's a far higher tax. It is, at best, one card out of your hand to prevent two damage. Which, granted, it, it stays in your deck, so that's great. But if you are... If you were planning on doing like a, an insane ninja combo, that means maybe you don't this turn because you're getting low on life, and that that two damage could mean the end. Uh, maybe you can push it through. I've I've had a couple of games that it all lied like 
the last turn ended with, well, I've got more blood drought than I can pay off. So let's see if you can block this out. <laughs> given, given the game states that a lot of my games ended up in, like I was describing earlier, where I had eight cards left in my deck and I still had 15 life to work with, blood rot is actually worthless at that state of the game because I will happily take two damage if it means I get to keep more cards. Um, so I, I think it has a I think it has a very low floor, which is why I think on average it's probably one of the most effective ones, uh, especially in the early and the mid game. Uh, I think frailty probably has the highest ceiling as far as effectiveness because it's it's the most disruptive. I think it's actually the most disruptive because it affects how your opponent wants to play out their turn. And inertia I think has the lowest floor of effectiveness because there's sometimes inertia just does nothing. And I think oftentimes it will it will just do nothing in the limited format. Inertia actually has a, a small chance to help your opponent. Uh, because if they accidentally bricked their arsenal, or, or maybe you bricked it for them with one of the codexes, uh, you can just you can just accidentally be like, all right, here you go. You can put that away now. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to having an arsenal. It's like a it's like a, a bonus uh, Riptide quiver because when I was right. when I was playing Riptide at draft, I was actually saved by that quiver in one game because really? I I ended up having a card in my arsenal that although I could use it, it was more effective to play the cards in my hand on that particular turn. So putting putting the card ac- underneath actually allowed me to present more of a threat that turn than I would have been otherwise so i know it looks bad and it still is pretty bad but it doesn't cost you anything so obviously play it there's no reason not to and you might find that it is useful right one out of 10 games or something you know and if you have that even even one out of 10 it was worth it absolutely it cost you nothing in limited costs nothing so i'm curious what are your like favorite cards for the limited format? You know, d- discounting constructed. What do you love to see in your pools? And oh, I'm man. I'm just mostly talking commons and rares here because obviously you can't count on majestics, and you'd love sure. to see them. Absolutely, um, man. The the best cards, Death Touch. Death Touch is really good. Um, also, looking for a scrap is like a workhorse of a card. That card is so good. I would have never suspected that card being as good as it is. Um, so Death Touch, looking for a scrap. Um, Come to Fight as being the only three-block generic, uh, common or rare, another just workhorse card. Uh, I, I would say those those ones are probably my favorite. I mean, I, I, I like all of the traps. Some are worse than others, but just having access to any any traps is really powerful. Um, tar pit trap, tar pit trap is really good. Um, frailty trap is like always going to be online, so that one's really good. Um, I, I would say those are your best like generic or pseudo generic type cards. I'm sure I'm sure I'm missing a couple. Uh, Red ravenous rabble, that card's ridiculous, of course. Really good. Seek horizon. There's a lot of really good generic cards. There, in there this really set. are. 
See, I, right. I like that we're yeah. on the opposite end of of which ones we like to see, because so far I I have liked to see uh, destructive deliberation mm. and cut down to size as like two of my I I will run these in just about any color. Uh, destructive, I won't run blue. Uh, I'll run it in yellow because uh, it's still give me two cards where I get a card. Mm -hmm. um, but the the value of cut down to size of you you don't have the option of taking six damage or four or five or six damage and keeping your full hand. It, it removes that agency from you. So what card do you give up to save some health? Because you're gonna drop it into your into your graveyard anyway. I've, so it, it I've been. I, I definitely recognize what you're saying. I've been a little less impressed with um, cut down the size. Destructed deliberation. I definitely agree with you um, because that represents something important to me. The cut down to the size hit is not very relevant because, as I was saying earlier, I almost never found myself in a situation where I wanted to keep all four cards anyway. So to put a card down in front of it to block it was what I wanted to do regardless. So that kind of just makes it look like a vanilla two for six, which I'm not saying is bad by any means, right? There's there's nothing necessarily bad about that. But I think the the destructive deliberation ponder trigger is actually scarier to me than the the one from the cut down the size. Well, that's pretty fair. It's like I, I think the only time that you're probably getting the full value out of your hands is ninja. Um, and that's if you got a good hand, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, it's it's limited. <laughs> you probably mm -hmm. didn't. The odds that you have a good hand are very low. Mm -hmm. Like the, I think the best ninja hand I was on the the opposite end of in in limited, uh, in sealed was. Uh, I alluded this to this earlier. Uh, Chad started a turn with all right, yellow surging strike. Cool. No blocks. I'm okay. I want to block some some on hits later. Followed with a red surging strike. <laughs> so they are right. Yeah, yeah. To, yeah. If I could, if I could provide like an example for for the point that I'm trying to make, you know, I had a I had a game in the first sealed, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name any names. They know who they are if they listen to this. Um, but at one point they chose to take eight damage to hold on to four cards. Uh, how much damage do you think their four cards are ended up representing? <laughs> with, with the framing of this story, <laughs> it was. I'm I think, if I remember correctly, five. Yeah, it was. I think it was five or six, if I remember correctly. You know, so their their four cards versus my three cards to represent less damage is a really bad trade within the turn cycles. Um, so you, I'm. When you're when you're playing this format, my my encouragement is to look at the the value of what you have in your hand and try to figure out what the sweet spot is for the most value per card played is going to be, right? Because it's that's going to take some practice and it's going to take you know, some critical thinking about the game state and the situation, but it's often going to be better for you. To, to represent six damage off of two cards than it is to represent nine damage off of four cards, for example. Oftentimes, you're going to be better off just using those cards for blocking because it's going to give you a better 
turn cycle to turn cycle advantage over your opponent. No, that's that's pretty fair. Right? Because you really don't get, like, I, I think I had maybe one or two turns where I was able to efficiently use my whole hand. But since I've been on Azuri in the, my entirety of the limited experience, using my whole hand still meant spider's bite, spider's bite, throw a stealth, swap it in. Right. And, and, and on average, that's probably representing eight damage off of four cards. Man, I need to get out and start drafting and doing stuff because you guys are here like, yeah, this is all happened. I'm just here like, you know, I opened some packs. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you drafting, boy. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh. Opening packs can be a pretty good ex uh, draft practice too because you can just do um, some mock pack one pick ones. That's always good information to have. Yeah, I, I was I was trying that out a little bit uh, in my my last box. I forgot about it for all the all the rest that I opened, but I was I was seeing people do some of that, uh, and I was watching uh, Gary, for example, was streaming in the uh, in the Buds Discord that he was just he's opening six packs at a time and trying to figure out what a sealed pool would be, just to just to try to identify the the good cards and limited what what would you run if that was your pool, and I think that's. I, I, until I saw that happening, had never considered doing that as uh, a means to prepare for Limited. Because prior to this set, I really didn't care about Limited. I had a good time with Welcome to Wrath, but I was bad at all the others. Uh, so I didn't really care about that experience. But like going to Baltimore, you know, I'm not in the, not in the Pro Tour, I'm not drafting officially. Um, but I'm going to be doing a lot of side events of drafting. And I'd I'd like to do better than uh, since they're all single elimination on the side events. I'd like to do better than you know pay ten bucks or whatever, play a single game, take my cards and leave. <laughs> I think it's like thirty, forty, or twenty, twenty, thirty. Yeah, you know that's that's not a that's not valuable to me if I'm only playing one game for that much money. No. Um, better just I, I like would sit with friends at that point. Exactly. I'd rather buy a box with friends and then, you know, just draft ourselves. What? All right. So, Riley, as I mentioned before we started, I have a couple of draftfab.com set up. So that way I'm going to hit start. It's going to give me the pack. I'm going to do my best to get them, read them off to you as quickly as I can, and then you would give us your pack one, pick one. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you, are you able to share your screen with me? Oh, yeah, I, I could do that. The cards while you're doing it. Oh, yeah. We have the, the technology. Process. Yep. I'm, I'm going to read them off regardless, just while he's looking at them, so that way the listeners at home can hear. All right, let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. All right. Let's do it. All right, so we have a yellow come to fight, a blue peace of mind. I already feel like I know what your pick, pack one pick one is, but I might be wrong. Red Ravenous Rabble. Uh, freewheeling renegades, descendant gust wave. Uh, the freewheeling renegades blue, descendant gust wave is yellow. A blue back heel kick, a yellow widowmaker, red infecting shot, blue razor's edge, red blood rot, uh, blood rot trap, which was always red, mask of shifting perspectives, a Fletcher red tail, infectious host, which is yellow, and a codex of blood rot foil. This is actually a decent pack. 
this is a, I would I would be ecstatic to see this as my first pack. Um, there's a lot of good cards in here. Obviously, it's it's a majestic pack, and it's a majestic pack with one of the one of the better majestics. So if you see this, you're definitely taking the Codex of Blood Rot. Right. Um, however, let's if I if we just assume that card's not there, uh, you're pr- I'm probably looking at the Red Ravenous Rabble. That's what that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah. Like let's it's, it's probably going... that. Probably I mean, that, but honestly, uh, Come to Fight and Blood Rot Trap are also both really good. So I, you can make arguments for the other two. Uh, I think the objective right choice is going to be the Codex, though. All right. So there's first one. All right, next one. We got, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> red Ravis Rabble, a Blue Feisty Locals, a Red Scout the Periphery, Red Head Jab, Red Be Like Water, Red rither- Withering Shot, Blue Sedation Shot, Red Isolation. Isolate, Blue Razor's Edge, Red Frailty Trap, a Fleet Foot Sandals, Sneak Attack, Backstab, uh, Sneak Attack's Red, Backstab's Yellow, and a Foil Mask of Malicious Manifestations. Alright, so this this pack's really good too. Um, There's several really good cards in here. Again, Red Ravidus Rabble is going to be one of the best generics. Uh, Red Scout the Periphery is actually very strong as well. Frailty Trap, like I said earlier, is one of the best traps. And Red Sneak Attack is really good if you want to force Uzuri. So yep. if you're uh, thinking you're going to be forcing something, if you think you're going to force, you might actually take sneak attack. I don't think it's right to force heroes, um, but you know if you really wanted to do that, if you had a lot of inside uh, information, maybe about how your drafters like to draft, you could do something like that. But uh, yeah, red. It's got to be red ravenous rabble. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I'm like, well, yep, that's probably it. <laughs> What what a great thought experiment we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to get expect- one that doesn't have red ravenous travel in it. Uh, this is random, I can't. All right. All right. Uh we got a red seek horizons, a blue seek horizons, blue destructive deliberation, blue black heel kick, blue be like water, a yellow Merkmire grapnel, a red falcon wing, red prowl, yellow malign. Yellow short and sharp, uh, fleet footed sandals again, spike with inertia, a red toxicity, and a red wither. Um, see, I feel like I'd be so wrong on this, um, but I would go with the red toxicity. So I know what I'm taking from my first pick, um, but this this pack is really important to be looking at and evaluating overall card quality because there are two extremely good assassin cards in this in this pool um red wither and red prowl so if you take note of these two cards and when this pack gets back to you if those two cards are still there you're playing assassin okay so that's that's just something to take a note of if those cards have made it all the way to you you are playing assassin (laughs) that's a that would be a really easy thing to overlook so that's something to keep that's something to keep in mind. But uh, Red Seek Horizon is definitely the best card in this pack. See, and I, I would be grabbing that toxicity. It's me and you both. I, I would be very tempted to grab the inertia, but if this is pack one, pick one, grabbing a, a, a single class card is a very hard decision to make unless it's cracked. Yeah. Uh so the one thing to see about Seek Horizon is even if you discount all of the information that's on the card it's a zero for four yeah uh, which which is which is a high rate 
per card played value. And it actually helps you do one of the things circumvent what I was saying earlier and about not being able to utilize all your cards if you ever do end up with four cards. Okay. You can utilize one of your yep. cards to give Seek Horizon go again to maybe add a, add a bigger turn. Um, but Seek Horizon is also very effectively played at your end of the turn without having to do that. I think it's a very underrated card. Great. Got two more here. Let's see if we can get another one. Uh, we got a red Springload, a red Scout to Periphery, a red Seek Horizon, a red Freewheeling Renegades, a blue Surging Strike, a yellow 1-2 Punch, a blue Withering Shot, a red Infecting Shot, a yellow Prowl, a yellow Short and Sharp, a Seeker's Hood, a blue Humble, a blue Bonds of Ancestry, and a Foil Blue Infect. So I'm actually curious to hear what you guys would pick for this one. So, you know, we already saw the, you know, the, the Red Seek Horizon's good, but I personally would be kind of torn between the Freewheeling Renegades and the Springload. They're both red. Uh, they both have the potential to present a, a very high amount of damage. Um, I have very much enjoyed Freewheeling Renegades when it is supported by, you know, if if you have a blue, you can put a bite in front of it and make that blocking factor worse. Um, Springload has led to some very strong turns. Uh, same thing, if you have a... It's probably better than Freewheeling, because if you can Spider's Bite or two Kadachi in front of it, uh, you can have a 1 for 5 in red. And that's very powerful. I'm cheating. I'm going with the Red Seek Horizon. <laughs> after the after the information I just learned, I'm going with that. Looking at this pack. I, I definitely think the Red Seek Horizon is still the best card. Um but there's a uh, there's a seeker's hood in there, and I was curious if anyone was thinking if that was worth picking as your pack one pick one. Um because ultimately I think it's wrong because there's an a abundance of equipment in this set there's so much you're you're probably not going to have any problem getting at least three pieces of equipment um so i um, unless the rest of the pack is really bad i don't think there's any reason to be taking you know a, a seeker's a seeker's piece of equipment in the first pack unless like i said the rest of the pack is quite bad the biggest reason i didn't do that is is one yeah i do like the prevention um but two there's so many headpieces in this set. It feels like that's the most common slot to be able to fill. Yeah, uh, I believe there's four. Yeah, because there's the there's the Wayfarers, there's the Seeker's Hood, there's the uh, the the two masks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think exactly I think that's all of them. Yeah, and the the other ones are all better than Seeker's Hood, right? All right, so you're taking Seek Horizons? I'm taking the Seek Horizon. All right, yeah, like I said, I'm cheating. I'm going with the info you gave me. All right. <laughs> you're learning. Last, last one, we got a blue come to fight, a yellow feisty locals, a red freewheeling renegades, a blue one-two punch, a red deadly duo, a yellow falcon wing, a blue infecting shot, a blue prowl, a red isolate, a yellow short and sharp, another fleet foot sandals, a red spike with blood rot, a lace with inertia, and a one-two punch yellow foil. We've gotten three fleet foot sandals out of these packs already. <laughs> we have, we have. Um, 
Now this this pack, I'm actually happy to see this one as our last one because uh, there's actually an argument for a couple of these cards. I definitely know what I'm taking, um, but this is a lower a lower power level pack all around compared to some of the other packs that we've seen so far. Um, so immediately, I'm looking at come to fight. Yep. So blue block three generic keeps you open. It's probably the best one of the best ones you can have. Um, but there are some other good cards in here. Uh, I mean, Red Isolate is very good. Um, Spike with Blood Rot is probably one of the best reactions that we have access to in this format. So that's also really powerful. Uh, Deadly Duo, Red is pretty good. Um, Blue Prowl is also pretty good. Um, so there's there's some good cards in here. But I think ultimately, if it's a pack one, pick one, you're taking Blue, come to fight. Yep. Right. That was my same boat, too. Now, I, I hadn't even thought about Deadly Duo, personally. Um, I, I think it's because I don't have a ninja brain. Uh, I was on the blue come to fight, or the, the red spike with blood rot. Those are, those are great. I agree. I agree. I don't, I don't see. I, I looked at the feisty locals. I don't know why. Maybe just because that, that card like just calls to me for some reason because of the <laughs> name. I, I, really um, like I like red, red and blue feisty locals quite a bit, actually. And now I'm looking at this pack some more. The blue one-two punch is actually really good, too. That's a ninja card that turns on Kodachis and blocks for three. So. Yeah, and if you can line it up and they let it hit, that's that's still a blue zero for three. Like Indeed. that's It's kind of all around a, a really solid ninja card. Uh, Absolutely. I, I do really like... Uh, Red Feisty Locals is is my favorite of these because uh, it hits that point where it is a, a 0 for 3 technically but if they're at endgame and they have to block it that is a, a 0 cost 2 card take. Unless yep. they happen to have a reaction. But the best, the best timing for Red Feisty Locals is when your opponent is at 2 life. Yep. It is fantastic. You cannot just give one card. No, it's really good. So we got right. one more? Well, I got one more just because I got tired of seeing fleet-footed sandals. <laughs> <laughs> um, we got a yellow Scout the Periphery, a yellow Seek Horizons, yellow Come to Fight, blue Black... Wow. Back Heel Kick, blue Be Like Water, blue Skybound Shot, red Merkmar Grapnel, blue Isolate... Blue Razor's Edge, Yellow Plunge, a Threadbare Tunic, a Tar Pit Trap, Laced with Blood Rot, and a Spike Pit Trap Foil. My brain goes Spike Pit Trap just because I don't have it. But that's not actually what I would probably pick. There's a... this Now this one, this is a really interesting pack. Um, obviously you're immediately drawn to Spike Pit Trap. Right, because it's a uh, it's a legendary Riptide specialization, which uh, seems very enticing, um, but it's pretty scary to pick that first, I'm especially sorry. when you're picking it over Threadbare Tunic, which I think might be the best chess piece in limited. That's I, you know I'm at the common curious. slot. So you like Threadbare Tunic better than the Silkenji? Absolutely, unless you're playing Benji. <laughs> then you can play. Then you can definitely say the Silken G is better. Fair. See, I, I have been enjoying the Silken G because the number of turns that it has fixed a hand 
that I I was otherwise unable to do something, and I was still able to present a breakpoint on hit, uh, thanks to it, uh, has been pretty high. Uh, and likely it's just my sequencing that's stopping me from being able to utilize the threadbare. Uh, but the condition of only when your hand is empty uh, is is sometimes tough to hit. Mm-hmm. See, I don't... I, sorry, go ahead. No, that's okay. In, in my experience playing a lot of games with Threadbare Tunic the last two weeks, there was never a game that I couldn't utilize it and take full advantage of Threadbare Tunic. I was always able to get strong value out of playing it. Um, it it's it, it's not that big of a limitation, really. I, I can see where you, you might think, oh, it's actually kind of hard to utilize this effect but in my experience it wasn't it wasn't because this format is so slow you're able to play off and around the idea of having that by having something powerful in arsenal like death touch um any of the any like the looking for a scrap or you know the the spike reactions short and sharp things like that it was it was very easy to take advantage of it and it didn't have in my opinion it had no drawback whereas silking gi does Oh, my thought process went. I could, as a like, if I'm playing a ranger, I could block with two, keep two, use the one pitch for barbed castaway to load the arrow, and then I could use the tunic to be able to fire it if I need to. Yep, that is another perfect example of when it's very powerful. Also, there was a yellow come to fight in that pack, so that's that's a pretty good card, and uh, tar pit trap, which I think is like probably the second best trap. At, at you know common and rare because it's yeah. just you're always going to get usefulness out of that one i want to play riptide and i don't have spike pitch so that's why i would be drawn to it. <laughs> and it's shiny that, yeah. that was the rainbow foil one i i would have been probably greedy and taken that this early in it because i don't have it for my collection yet sure um but i i think later not caring about it i i don't think i would have taken that as as pack one pick one because that that locks you in. Either that or it's a wasted pack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, col- collection filling aside, because <laughs> I did that this weekend, too. I took a shakedown, and uh, I took something else that was majestic, just just so that I would have it. Right. Um, but in a competitive environment, and you're not, you're not playing for collection filling. Um, you know, unless you're at Worlds and you get a Blood of Drakai. So, <laughs> then you're probably doing it. Then you're probably doing it. Then you're probably doing it. <laughs> Oh, these pets are so interesting. It's like there rarely feels like there is a a wrong decision. Like out of you know, you're you're looking at your pile of reds. Even even in just generics, where like that that one pack we looked at that had the red seek horizon, the red freewheeling, the red scout, the periphery. Uh, those are all. Probably freewheeling is is the worst of those choices. But they're all still pretty good choices. That's a that pack is a really good example of a pack that I wanna see when it's uh pack two pick one. Because you can make an argument for all three of those cards depending on what seat you're sitting in. True. Yeah, because you know, you'll have figured out which one of those is best for your deck. Because by pack two, you're, from what I hear, for, from people who actually make good decisions, you're probably locked into your hero by then. 
or at least your class. Yes, hope hopefully. Right. Like I, I can I can maybe see some waffling on like whatever you get to maybe switch from like Azuri to Arachne or, you know, whoever within the class based on what you're handed. But you're probably on your class unless you are uh like like Vince who just had an insane pile of generics, you were saying. <laughs> His deck was crazy. I've never seen so many high-value high generics like in one <laughs> pile of cards. It was unbelievable. So, we talked, you know, is there any hero that, like, you know, competitive in, you know, we have, we talked to Limited, is there any heroes you think out of this that you're kind of excited to either see how they do or even just Possibly play in, you know, like CC or Blitz. What are those? What are those formats? <laughs> I don't know. Constructed. 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 Tiring from the constructed. Is just... <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm obviously kidding. Um, I'll tell you what. I am uh, pretty at this point far removed from the Blitz format. Uh, I haven't really played any significant amount of Blitz in in a I probably since Worlds. Um, and even then, to say that I played Blitz is a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> uh, I sat at a table and I lost two games and then I dropped. So I don't know if you could really call that playing or not. Um, I am I am really interested to see how Uzuri does. Um, I think that Uzuri has just enough to have a like a competitive deck archetype riptide i am very iffy about because i don't see how riptide is beating some of the highest meta contenders such as icelander oldham and dromai but i think uzuri has a chance so i'm really interested to see how that shakes out so no opinion on the new arachne uh i mean if, if i'm just looking at what new arachne has access to as far as card pool and what arachne does i think there are other heroes that do a, a similar thing better than he's able to plus he starts at 19 for some reason so I, that's that's doing him a disservice because as well I, I, I think if you want to play that place go again play style you're just going to play you know ninja or oh, mechanologist but... Like he kind of like intrigues me a little bit. Like, how can I make this as wide as I possibly can per turn, and get the most value out of it, while like being able to not take as much damage as I want to. Yeah, I I definitely see where you're coming from. I think if you want to play Arachne and Blitz, the best thing you're probably going to be doing is playing like Red Infect with Gogan followed by a Snatch. I don't think you're actually trying to take advantage of all four of your cards. Oh, I, was I, going... I don't think he's actually. I don't think his card pool is designed for that. I was thinking like, so my idea was like scar for scars, uh, ravenous ravels. I'd put like e strikes in some things where like I still have power potential, and they're like, other than e strike, they're basically free, and they're go agains, and then you follow that up with another stealth with a go again possibly with um like maybe like an infect where you're threatening the blood rot pox and then you finish that up with something else maybe a seven e strike yeah i could definitely i could definitely see a deck like that 
being pretty close to viable. Um, I don't know how that deck beats the best decks in the format, like Icelander and Kano. <laughs> I, I don't know that it has access to the cards that it needs to be able to win those matchups. But at Kano the same time, I don't know that any deck does. <laughs> so, right. I don't know that, that it's an, an Arachne exclusive problem. Okay. Kano makes Blitz very interesting. And there's always a temptation for me to go back to my boy, my my first love. But do it, do it. But see, I can be weird with Shiana, though. Is the yep. thing. So, are you gonna be playing in any of the skirmish season coming up, or since it's Blitz, are you gonna kind of be taking a step back on that? Oh, I'll, I mean, I'll definitely still play. Um, my expectations just will not be very high. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll definitely play and I'll definitely come out because I just enjoy, I really enjoy those uh, higher tier local events because it's when, you know, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the folks who are either too busy or, you know, flesh and blood's not really high on their priority list where they do make an effort to, to show up and play at those events on the weekends. And I really enjoy that experience where we get like, you know, 30, 30 ish people from the community all out playing and enjoying the same game. Um, so even if it's even if it's blitz, uh, we'll definitely make an effort to be a part of that. I'm not a fan of blitz. So <laughs> I've just, ever since I learned the ways of CC, I've never wanted to go back to blitz. Understandable. Well, we were talking just before the uh, before we started up. We were talking about like, oh, what are you going to run in in blitz? I have no idea. What is the blitz meta? Who can really say? Besides arcane damage, I don't even remember that at that point. Kano's been so far removed from my mind, I forgot. Like, right, he's just kind of explosive death. You can just like turn zero, kill someone. So you alluded last week that you might not be on Shiana anymore. The insider, are we still holding all? You still making me wait for that? I I think it might be it might be Azuri. She like the more I've played with her, even with like a bad card pool, uh, because it's limited, the more interesting I I find her. Um, the the bait and switch is so great because I've never had to have someone think so hard about do I block this one power attack. Yeah, that does that. That is true. Because, like you said, you block it out. You just arsenal that card you're going to put in. If they don't block it out, well, here it is anyway. Right. And and in uh in constructed, you have consistent like access to Red Ravenous Rabble, where you can go. All right. Well, you didn't block this one, so now it's five go again. Um, and here we're going to follow with the CNC. Have fun. <laughs> Shiana did get a pretty big buff with this set. I'll say that much. It's huge. Like that's that's the thing that's got me still waffling back and forth. Because these these new traps from Riptide are enormous and Shakedown is great. I was already on a on a tall Shiana. So being able to go, all right, here's Shakedown, Hummel. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It just instantly replaced my alpha rampages because my 
my problem with them before is like, yeah, it's it's nine power, but I have to discard an extra card. I, I can't be as defensive as I want. Um, and also still present a big turn. I can give you one card at max if it's in hand, uh, and two if it's in arsenal. And that that feels bad when you're not getting as high value out of like like Reinar can obviously use Alpha Rampage way better because it's it's his thing, uh, but you get typically two intimidates off of it, which is great. Whereas I get. And intimidate, they say, all right, no, no blocks, and then they just hit me with a giant attack. <laughs> <laughs> so shakedown, like wanting to block that, even if I don't have the pummel, way more viable. And also, I still want to do the really goofy of pitching the Arknight shard to a warmonger's recital, and then playing Arknight ascendancy to say, here's eight dominate threatening rune chants. Uh, and the one arcane floating above it. And then being able to uh, play the uh, Become the Arknight to go find my second one and probably play it for free. Alright, so be completely honest with me here, Riley. If you sit down and you're seeing something like Derek's describing, are you like, am I really playing against this? Or are you like more, someone actually took the time to figure this out and come up with this? <laughs> Be honest here. Uh, you know what? I'm 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 um I'm fluctuating between the two, right? Because <laughs> I uh I I recognize. So here's it's a weird thing that happened, right? A similar similar thing when I was playing. Actually, when I was playing at, at Worlds, um, and I'm and I'm pretty sure my opponent and I both sat down and had the same feeling about each other because I sat down. This was during CC. I sat down in round like, uh, I think it would have been like round six. So we had played three draft rounds, and I think this was probably my third round of CC. And I think I was uh, like four and two at this point, I think. Um, so I sit down, and I'm playing Dorinthia. And my opponent sits down, and they're playing Azalea. And this was before Azalea got Outsiders, right? So a very different Azalea. Um, so, I sit, so I'm sitting down, and I'm like, this, this mad lad's playing Azalea at Worlds. <laughs> And this guy's probably looking at me and like, this maniac's playing Dorinthia at Worlds. Um, so, but then I got blown out. In <laughs> 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 what is a, a pretty favorable Dorinthia matchup. Um, right. And yeah, the, the Azalea player just, he just had it all, you know? Um, so I, my initial, my initial reaction would want to sit down and be like, oh, here we go, you know. Uh, Der Derek's back on his BS. Yeah. Um, and you know, two turns later, I'm I'm probably dead, you know, because because heroes like that just always have enough niche potential to just go crazy. Yeah, Derek, um, always, Derek is a very intriguing. The fact that he's able to sit down and come up with stuff like this. Well, I mean, Brandon, you sat down with Levy and killed me in like three turns that one. <laughs> so I was just like, there's that... always potential, even for the most rogue heroes, to do some nonsense. Yes, but a lot of you, you know what you're getting. You're either facing down a lot of damage, or you're going to basically have that whole game, and then I'm going to die to blood debt, or you're going to face down a lot of damage, and I'm going to die to blood debt. You just happen to get option three, which is like the very small percentile of a lot of damage that I somehow won. Rogue nonsense. You, you can't plan for it. 
You, you just got to take it as it comes. I, I, I stand by my... I, I, I heard a saying that I, I live by when it comes to, like, deck building. The world's greatest swordsman is not afraid of the second best swordsman. He's afraid of the worst one. Because they're just going to do such dumb stuff that the best one isn't ready for. You don't have a sideboard plan for this. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, not that, you know, in this case, Blitz doesn't have a sideboard. But you're, you're not prepared for it. So sometimes these, these niche picks can just blow you out of the water. Because <laughs> you have nothing in the bag for it. And maybe this is a bad matchup for you. I agree with that completely. Yeah. That was why I took during Theater Worlds. It was that exact. <laughs> it was a, that exact mentality. I was playing back when I used to play Yu-Gi-Oh. I was at a regional, and I had like my entire side was ready for you know all the meta decks that were out there. And like round three, I sat down and I went against some burn deck that I, you know, is normally at like what we call table five hundred because they're always at the bottom tables because. 90% of the time, they're going to lose, but they get that one deck that they can just go off against, and he was able to do it to me. I was like, alright, yeah, uh, Chain, banish this. He goes, alright, Chain it in response, flips three over, I'm dealing 9,000 uh, 9, damage back to you. And I'm just like, alright. <laughs> and coming from the, the tame numbers that, that Flesh and Blood has, like, for a brief moment, it's like, you're exaggerating at 9,000. No. <laughs> Yeah, we started eight thousand life. For some reason, <laughs> decides to go with thousands. But uh, I want to ask one more question before we uh, wrap up for the day. This this one's for you, Brandon. Oh boy, how afraid of you are of are you of humble? Humble uh... is on hit uh, for the next turn. You have no hero text. Eh, I'm not too afraid. I don't that, know. No, because I'm thinking about it from the from the terms of Leviathan. I'm already hit. You're unable to turn off your blood debt. Odds are, I probably wasn't able to turn it off anyway with the hands that I get. So <laughs> I ain't afraid at all. I'm I'm already dead by the time my turn, my prior turn, has ended. My because man's I saw that hand. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining us again, Riley. Uh, congratulations on being our first ever returning guest. You did it. What a what an astute honor. Thank you for having me back. It was a pleasure to be able to sit here and chat about the new set. And uh, hopefully, I'll see you around. I'll see you around sometime because. My game time has been drastically cut. We'll have you around eventually. Yep. All right, Derek, you want to sign us off? I was not prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go ahead and just swap in our closing with next week's episode, where we're going to be talking. Uh, we, we've had all these. Uh, these like very mechanical episodes lately so we're we're just gonna flip themes and next week uh we'll be tuning in for some some flavor and some chaos as we talk about hero theme songs <laughs> <laughs>